0: Hello, my name is Lee Shelnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Turn with me today to John chapter 6. You'll find our selection on page 12 in your bulletin. Uh, Returning now to John chapter 6 as we continue this short series on communion. Last week we began this series by asking the question, who? We asked the who question of the Lord's Supper. Who are the participants? Who are the parties at the table of the Lord? And the short answer is uh, the bread of life. Jesus Christ Himself, the God-man. Jesus Christ, who is the host, but in a mysterious way, as we're going to think more about this today, He's also the meal itself. There's Jesus Christ, and there are also believers, because this is not a table for one, this is a table for many. And Jesus calls His disciples disciples. His people, believers to this meal, to this table, astoundingly sinners saved by sovereign grace and sustained by the very bread of life. Now, remember from last time when I said that John's a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us an account of the upper room and in their accounts we have Jesus giving us the institution of the Lord's Supper. John doesn't do that. But what John does do is he gives us John chapter 6 and this bread of life sermon. And this sermon of Jesus in John 6 and the table itself, they're both pointing to the same spiritual glorious reality. And that is that Jesus Christ is in union with his people. The great doctrine that both are pointing to is union with Christ, of Jesus being us and us in Jesus. And with that as the backdrop, let's now dive in. And today we're going to be asking the what question. What's communion all about? We begin with verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will... But the will of Him who sent me, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it, And not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, And as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The word of God for the people of God Thanks be unto God. The year was 1529, just 12 short years after the beginning of this thing that we know of as the Reformation. In the year, and I believe it was in October 1529, many Protestants were called together at a meeting in the city, the German city of Marburg. Marburg's just north of Frankfurt. What was this meeting all about? Well, this meeting or conference or, or the official term colloquy, the colloquy of Marburg was being called uh, together by a civil ruler. The civil ruler was known as Philip, Philip the Landgrave of Hesse. And Philip had converted, he had come to a Protestant, to a, to a Reformation view of Christianity under the influence of Luther and Bucer. And, and, and Philip recognized the tenuous situation that the Protestants found themselves in. You had Protestant Reformation that broke out 1517, Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the door there in Wittenberg. Uh, You had the Reformation breaking out in northern Germany, but you also almost simultaneously had the Reformation breaking out in Swiss cantons, namely the canton of Zurich. And there the leader wasn't Luther, the leader was Zwingli. And Philip wanted, and Martin Butzer as well, they wanted the the Protestants in Germany and the Protestants in Switzerland to be together, to be unified, to work together, to come together as one. Because he recognized the threat of the Roman Catholic Church exercising its power and its influence through the Holy Roman Empire. And he thought that if the church could unite, they were much more protected from the Holy Roman Empire, dividing them and conquering them and sweeping away the Reformation. But he needed needed the, the major players to come together to where they would agree and be unified. And Luther wanted to do this, but Luther's stipulation was we can be together if we share a common confession of faith. So they came together, Luther, Zwingli, and other Reformers. And there are about 60 folks gathered together. And they are walking their way through the various tenets of the Reformation. And they, they hold the majority, the, the large majority of views in common. They hold to the solas of the Reformation. They hold to the doctrines of grace. They hold to all these things. But they came to a point where they saw that they were in disagreement and they were in disagreement, guess what, over what? The Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper all about? What's it for? What's happening? And they were particularly more pointedly wondering and and separated and different on the point of how is Jesus present in this meal? Imagine the players. Imagine Luther and Zwingli. They're big personalities. I mean really big personalities. They're great debaters. And they are seated at a table. And they have all folks all gathered around them. And they're going back and forth on this doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Zwingli looked at Luther and, and thought, Luther, you have not broken from the Roman church enough. You, you, you're still too much of a Roman Catholic. And Luther looks upon Zwingli, and he wouldn't have used these terms, but there are terms. He would have looked upon Zwingli as being a liberal. That's being a rationalist. That's being one who just wanted to explain away everything. And they're going at one another. And they're good debaters. And they can't get one the upper hand over the other. And to be quite frank, I don't think they liked each other. As a matter of fact, I know they didn't. Because later, when Zwingli would die on the battlefield, uh, and when Luther heard of it, Luther would say he got what was coming to him. Typical Luther fashion, right? You know, he's just going to say it as he sees it. And they're sitting there going back and forth. And Luther, he's just mad. And I don't know if this story is exactly true, but it sure is a good one. They have steins of beer on the table. And Luther is so mad, he sticks his finger in the foam of his stein. And he writes on the table with that beer foam, "Hoke est corpus meum. Hoke est corpus corpus meum. Latin for this is my body. Don't try to explain it away Zwingli. They didn't come to an agreement. Remember what I said last time? This sermon from the day it was first preached to Lee's day back in, at White Oak when a, there was a lady who got mad when a particular minister preached through this sermon, to this time of the Reformation. This sermon divides. This doctrine divides. It's a sad thing, isn't it? I pray it doesn't divide us today. I pray that as we open up the Scriptures, we come together and we see what is the Supper all about? How is Jesus present? What's happening? What's happening? Brothers and sisters, as we consider this, and as we consider not only John chapter 6, but the rest of the Holy Scriptures, I think what the Bible is teaching us is happening is really something threefold. What's happening? We are remembering. What's happening? We are proclaiming. What's happening? We are communing. Remembering, proclaiming, communing. Let's dive into each one of those. Remembering. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll hear words like this. And Jesus took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He gave it to them, saying, this is My body, which is given for you. What? What does He say next? You've heard it. You know it. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. When we come to the table of the Lord, we are to remember. And and that means we are to meditate. We are to think about all that Jesus has done for us. And supremely what He did for us on the cross. We are to think about that. We are to meditate upon that. And we pray and we hope that the Holy Spirit fills our hearts to the brim and overflowing with astonishment, with amazement, and with gratitude. I hope as we we remember, as we meditate, as we take bread and as we take wine, we'll be struck by this amazing truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has been given for us as a sacrifice for our sins. And I hope we think and and we have in our hearts and we say and we voice in our hearts unto the Lord the same sort of thing that Wesley did in his great hymn, And Can It Be? You remember that hymn? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died He for me, who caused Him pain, for me, who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? That's holy remembering It's a remembering with amazement and with gratitude. Now there's a name for the Lord's Supper that's not usually used. It's not common language in Presbyterian circles. But it ought to be. It's a fabulous word. And I think we should should latch a hold of it and use it. And that word is, the Lord's Table is also known as the Eucharist. The Eucharist. And Eucharist means the Thanksgiving. When we come to this table... We're meditating upon all that Jesus has done for us, and we are giving thanks. We're praising Him. What happens in the Eucharist? What happens in the Lord's Supper? Thankful, holy, remembering. The Lord's Supper is more than this, but get this, it's certainly not less than this. Holy, thankful, remembering. What more then is it? It's remembering, but it's also proclaiming. Proclaiming. Now we're going to see this, Lord willing, next week when we get to 1 Corinthians. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he writes this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim. You make a proclamation. And I think St. Augustine's helpful here. Augustine, when he was talking about the sacraments, he said, sacraments are, they're visible words. He said, you know, we got audible words, and audible words are for our what? Our ears. But God, in this graciousness, not only gives us audible words, he gives us Visible words. And the visible words are for our eyes. and the Lord's table, the visible words are also for our what? Our mouth. Our mouth. And in this sense, brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is evangelistic. Now my task as a minister, the many things that I'm called to do, my main task is that I am a minister of the gospel. I proclaim it. I proclaim it with audible words. I preach it. But I am also one who proclaims the gospel through visible means, through bread and wine. I proclaim it and I show it. I speak it and I make it manifest in these elements. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that you are a sinner and without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are without hope. But the Lord Jesus Christ has lived and He has died in your place on the cross. He's offered up His body for you and His blood for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died is now resurrected and He's ascended and He is calling you to Himself. Place your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and as your King. I am to proclaim that. That's what I do. That's my glorious, wonderful job. I am to proclaim it with words. And I am to proclaim it with signs, with these visible words of bread and wine. And brothers and sisters, you need that. You need that. The gospel is not just one thing that you you hear and and by God's grace you come to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ the first first time and, and then you don't need it anymore. You know that's not the case. You need the gospel how often? every single day, every single morning. And that includes, you need the gospel every Sunday. And I've got the glorious privilege of preaching it to you and showing it to you at the Lord's table. That's for you believers. Unbelievers, um, they need that too. They, They can't partake. They're not to partake of the Lord's Supper because you're to come in faith. But unbelievers need to hear the gospel proclamation. And if they are here, they need to see it on display at the Lord's table. What happens in the Lord's Supper? Holy, thankful remembering and holy proclamation by word and sign of the gospel. And when? Until... Until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is more than this. But brothers and sisters, it's certainly not what? Less than this. Remembering and proclaiming. What more then is it? Lastly, and this is the one we need to spend the most time on, it's communing. Communing. That's the other word we use, right? Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Communion. It's communing. It's participating. It's receiving. Now, when we talk about communing, we are talking, and I guess in real literal terms, we're talking about conversation. We're talking about connecting. And we're talking about the bond that occurs when people talk and when they have conversation. The bond that occurs. We've got our phrases, don't we, that kind of reveal this. We say, you know, you you meet somebody for the first time, never met them in your life, and and you start this conversation, and you say what? We just connected. We, We hit it off. We what? Bonded. That's the idea of communion. It's the idea of shared intimacy. Not just a sort of an indifferent fleeting conversation. You see somebody, hey, how are you? And then you go on. No, it's, it's you are, you're face to face. You're talking. You're bonding. You're connecting. And that's what communion is. Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians, he writes this time in chapter 10, he writes the following. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, a communing in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation, a communing in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And that brings us now back to John 6. What does John 6 teach us about communion? about this participating in the body and blood of Jesus. Well, the first thing I think it teaches us is that we need to be uncomfortable. We need to be uncomfortable and open to mystery. Jesus, notice, he didn't say when uh, the Jews misunderstood, when they're grumbling, when they're murmuring, how, could, how, could he, uh, how can we eat his flesh? Jesus didn't say, you misunderstood me. I'm not talking about cannibalism. No, 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 no. I'm just speaking figuratively. I'm just giving you a figure of speech. I'm just giving you a word picture. A metaphor. Don't worry. You guys, you calm down. You're just misunderstanding. Pipe down. It's going to be okay. Don't get your hackles raised. He does not do that, does he? Nope. He doesn't soften his language. He doesn't soften his language when they objected. As a matter of fact, he intensifies it. Now it's hard for us to see with our English translations. But I want you to notice he changes a word from 53 to 54. In verse 53, Jesus talks about eating or eat. He uses the word eat. But notice what he uses in 54. He doesn't use the word eat. He uses the word what? Feed. It's a different English word translating a different Greek word. The Greek word is trogo. And that Greek word that's translated as feed, get this, it means to eat loudly. It means to gnaw. It means to smack. It it means to chew loudly. Now, you've all been around folks who, when they sit at the table, boy, it's sort of like an orchestra going off, right, when they're eating. That's the sort of word he's using. He's saying smack. He's saying chew audibly. He's saying gnaw on me. What does he do? He makes them what? More uncomfortable. Intentionally so. Dear ones, this should remind us. This should alert us. We have the constant temptation to try to tame Jesus. Jesus. Jesus will not be tamed. Jesus will not be tamed. It's our temptation to say, i got to figure everything out, and I want everything in this neat little package, a nice bow on, on top, and i got it all in my little categories, and it all makes perfect sense to me. And Jesus says, I'm not having any of that. <laughs> no. Jesus doesn't play that game. He intentionally makes them uncomfortable. And we need to be as well. I think of that great story from C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, little Lucy, sweet little Lucy. She hears about Aslan, and and she thinks initially this is some man. And she's talking to Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver lets her know that Aslan's not a man. He's a what? Lion lion and she's surprised she says I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion she asks Mr. Beaver is he safe and what does Mr. Beaver say safe who said anything about being safe of course he isn't safe but he's good but he's good. He's the king. Dear ones, let's try not to wring out all of the uncomfortableness of this passage. All the mystery of this text. Let us be uncomfortable. Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. And Jesus' words, they're not safe. But they're what? They're good. Second, we need to feed on Christ, the bread of life, by faith. John knows two verses, verses 40 and 54. John knows how Jesus structures them. In verse 40 he says this, "For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and what? believes. Believes in him should have what? eternal life. And what? I will raise him up on the last day. Now cast your eye down to verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Eternal life. And I will do what? Raise him up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, there is this connection that Jesus is making between believing in Him and eating and drinking. Believing in Him and eating and drinking. Now the Lord's Supper, it is mysterious. Let's not try to you know, clean it up. It's mysterious. But it's not magical. If you don't have faith and you act like you do and you partake, your, your physical taking in of the bread and your physical drinking of the wine, by that you are not receiving Jesus. If you do not have faith, you're not receiving Jesus as if by magic. But if you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are spiritually receiving the spiritually really present Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are participating in Him. You are communing with Him. You are abiding in Him and He's abiding in you. Notice verse 55. For my flesh is true blood, and true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood does what? Abides in me. Abides in me and I in Him. Now, brothers and sisters, there's signs. signs. There's bread, there's wine, there's signs, bread and wine, and these signs point to Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit, they are so connected with Jesus that when you receive bread and wine in faith, you receive whom? Jesus. The spiritually present Jesus. Where's his body? His body, because it's a human body, it is limited. My physical body can't be everywhere. Can yours? No. His body is where? It's ascended to heaven. But His humanity is never disconnected from His divinity. It's never disconnected from His Spirit. And His Spirit is where? Everywhere. And so when you receive Him by faith, you receive spiritual the Spirit of Christ, And you receive the whole Christ. And what does that mean? It means life. You receive life. Notice verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of. Of me, the Father's life was in, and is in, is in the God-Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, by sovereign grace, we believe in Jesus, we are evidencing that very life. Faith is the breath of that life, and eating and drinking at the table of the Lord is to pulsate with that life. It is to have that life fortified, strengthened. Blessed. I need that life. You do as well. And one, one more holy and glorious mystery. The life that is ours in Christ, the life that is ours and that is fortified when we eat and drink, is spiritual, yes, and it's also what? It's eternal. Notice verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live, what? Forever. Forever. When you feed on Jesus, you live forever. When you feed on Jesus, you live forever. Yes, your physical body may waste away, and dear ones, we know dear ones, whose physical bodies are doing what? Wasting away. Yes, your physical body will waste away, and yes, lest the Lord should return, the breath will go out of your physical body. But when it does, what happens to your spirit? Your spirit immediately is in the presence of Almighty God before the Lord Jesus Christ to live perfectly forever and ever and ever. And in addition to that, as Jesus makes sure that we know, what will happen to your body on that great and coming day? Whether your body was laid in the ground, whether your body burned, whether it decayed, whatever, the Lord will raise up your body. He will perfect your body and body and soul you will be with the Lord forever. Child of God, that resurrection life, that eternal life, it began that moment that you first believed, because when you believed, you were evidencing that the Holy Spirit had given you new birth. In that moment, you exercise that new spiritual life in faith began this resurrection life. And every time you come to this table and you receive bread. And wine, that spiritual, eternal, resurrected life is what? Strengthened, nurtured, fortified, blessed. And don't you want that? Don't we want that? A brother, Adriel Sanchez, put it simply. In the same way that we need physical bread for the nourishment of our bodies. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is the constant nourishment of our souls. And this Jesus, through this preached word, this audible word for your ears, and in a moment, in this visible word of bread and wine, this Jesus, get this, Be astounded by this. He offers Himself to you. To you. That's the bread of heaven. That's true life. He offers Himself to you. How will you respond? What will you say? May you respond whether they knew it or not, may you respond as those disciples long ago did in John chapter 6 when they said, Sir, give us this bread. What? Always give us this bread. When you come to this table, do you believe that Jesus is giving Himself to you? When you come to this table, do you believe Jesus will never cast you out? When you come to this table and, 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 and exercise faith, recognize He'll never leave you or forsake you, and He gives Himself for you. Take and eat. Let's pray. Give us this bread always, Jesus. As we come to your table, help us to remember to meditate on all that You do for us and all that You've done for us. Help us to meditate upon Your offering up Yourself, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Help us to be amazed that You would do this for us and help us to give thanks. And Lord Jesus, by Your Spirit, as we we take bread and as we drink wine, Help us to proclaim to one another the Gospel. And Holy Jesus, when we take bread and wine, may the Holy Spirit open up the heavenlies. May He may pull apart the curtain that divides this world from the Holy of Holies. May we be transported into heaven itself, and may we feed on You. And may in feeding upon you by faith in our hearts, may we receive life and life eternal. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.